Hi, welcome to Colonial Williamsburg, past and present on history.org. This is Behind the Scenes, where you meet the people who work here. That's my job. I'm Lloyd Dobbins, and mostly I ask questions. This time, I'm asking Garland Wood, and at Colonial Williamsburg, he's the master carpenter. And I'm curious about something. I have talked to a cabinet maker. What's the difference between a carpenter and a cabinet maker for Colonial Williamsburg? Excellent question, and it's a question that we get all the time. Um, carpenter's main job is is building construction, and um, it can be as simple as a log corn crib or as elaborate as the Capitol building or the college or the palace, uh, in which case the carpenter's acting, as we would say, as a general contractor. Uh, carpenters knock together cheap furniture. They put together coffins. They build gates and fences and all kinds of wooden implements. Uh, where the cabinet maker comes in, he is responsible for the high art of fine furniture. And so he's a cousin to the carpenter, but his business is filling the rooms in the homes of the wealthy with the most stylish furniture, and the carpenter is responsible for, for building those homes. For building the homes and the rooms that get filled with stylish furniture. That's right. But That's right. And I, ha I hasten to add, carpentry is a much older trade. It <laughs> okay. Is, it is, uh, goes back as long as people have had the habit of living inside structures, and we take a lot of pride in that. If it's wood, it can be done by a carpenter or a cabinet maker, but the end result is going to be totally dissimilar. You're going to build a house, he's going to build a table or a yes. chair or yes. a something. That, that's essentially it. Okay. And, and there's all kinds of carpenters. Uh, we read in the period about house carpenters. Uh, we read about joiners and joiners. Uh, we would today call them finished men. A joiner is closer to a cabinet maker in that he's working at a workbench, but he's making window sash and he's making shutters and mantelpieces and pieces for stairs, uh, interior and exterior finish work. Um, you've got ship's carpenters. Um, so it's, it's a very diverse group of individuals, um, which causes some confusion sometimes. Right, but, but no matter what, you work with wood because in the 18th century there's no plastic. No plastic. Uh, you know, the, uh, this is the age of wood, uh, wooden ships and wooden houses and uh, wooden implements of every kind. And, you know, for common farmers, they're often doing their own carpentry work. But as you get closer to either the great plantations or the, or the cities and towns uh, where the craft specialties can be very, very, where people can practice their craft at a very high skill level, uh, well, for instance, there are more builders in Williamsburg in the 18th century than almost any other trade. Uh, the, the tradesmen that outnumber builders are in the fashion trades, so barbers and tailors and mantua makers and wig makers. But after that, it's carpenters and joiners and bricklayers and smiths, and they're all involved in the business of, of building fine structures. How long have you been here? I'm in my 25th year now. I would uh, ask, do you enjoy it? But that seems kind of dumb. <laughs> well, you know, I, people ask me that a lot, and I tell them. I started here uh, with a summer opportunity. Uh, I was in, in college and needed a summer job, and uh, I was hired in by the, the first master carpenter, Roy Underhill. And um, uh, 25 years later, it's been, a, it's been a long summer job. I've just never been able to walk away from it.
<laughs> but I've also said when I stopped having fun, it was time to move on to something else. And uh, for us, every every project's a new challenge. We don't build the same thing twice. So, uh, and and I find that that uh, very rewarding. Um, you know, we built workshops, we built barns, we built uh, slave quarters. We've done uh, a project that was all joinery. We did the the restoration of the inside of the courthouse, uh, planing up 10,000 feet of heart pine to build an interior. And then we went out and, uh, you know, and did a rough structure. So lots of variety and lots of challenges. And uh, the best part about the job is that we really don't know how to do it. And so we get to spend a lot of time looking at old buildings and digging through old manuscripts and consulting with uh, all the other experts at Colonial Weinsberg that can point us in the right direction, our architectural historians and buildings conservators. And, and we all work on the project together. In It's sort of a detective story. And then we're able to, to well... Uh, uh, what I tell people a lot is the best way to learn how to do this business is to have the old carpenters tell you, but they're not saying much. So we have to look at the buildings they left behind and, and figure it out from there. And the ultimate compliment for us is when a visitor walks up to a building that we've done and asks us how old it is. You know, <laughs> then we have, then we are practicing our trade correctly. They'd say, well, about two weeks. About uh, yeah, yeah. You know, if it's made of the same stuff and it's made the same way, um, you know, it, 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 it should have a, an authenticity about it that I think is very compelling to people. So for any practical purpose, everything you do is done by hand. Absolutely. And it's, and it's the, the, speaking of practical, the only way you can make that practical, I think, is in a museum setting like this, where building the building is part of the point, but uh, showing people how the building is built and, and in many cases asking them to help us and to become involved in the construction of a building uh, you know, that's an experience that uh, will last people a lifetime. I've talked to people who are grown men now um, who, who were young men or children when they saw us start a building, you know, 25 years ago, and now they're bringing their family back, and they can tell, you know, I, I helped split some of these boards, and I helped cross-cut these logs, and I helped plane these planks. And, you know, there's a little bit of that visitor inside that building. And uh, um, uh, that's a... Uh, I think that's a, a compelling argument for the way that we build things. Another argument is that, again, I, I've, I've said before, we, we really don't know what we're doing until we're trying it out. And as we build the buildings, um, questions come up that we hadn't thought of before. We can go back to the original structures and look at that and come up with some answers. So we learn the trade by practicing the trade. And, uh, of course, one of the goals of our Historic Trades program is that there will always be people here doing this kind of work. So as we learn that, uh, learn the secrets of the past, then we can pass them to the next generation of apprentices and, and keep this going. You're the master carpenter. Uh, if I've got all my terms correct, and you know, in the old days, the master carpenter would have been the head of the shop. And yes. He would have journeymen working for him and they would have apprentices working for them. And a journeyman would be a very highly developed carpenter, but he would not own his own shop. He That's would work right. for somebody else. That's right. So as a master carpenter, you would have journeymen working for you and apprentices working for them. And they would learn the trade coming up. Well, I, I, I guess 
I guess to split hairs, the apprentices are legally bound to the master. Okay. Um, he is expecting the journeyman to work alongside the apprentices and, and to, to help teach them. But ultimately, uh, and in fact, we have the surviving contracts. The, the master is responsible for bringing the boy up in the trade. And, uh, and of course, the boy, uh, the contracts spell it out very, very uh, legally, but what it's basically saying is the, the apprentice has to do anything his master compels him to lawfully do. So basically, it's like rules living at home. Uh, if you live under my roof, you got to do what I say. And the master's responsible for the upbringing of the apprentice, um, teaching him to read and write, teaching him to run the business when he's grown up himself. And, uh, and he's responsible, responsible for the apprentice's behavior. It would be like there's a tension. Uh, I would love to have a group of apprentices come work for me in the 18th century because I don't have to pay them. But they're not very good at anything yet. And they're all teenage boys. So imagine opening your house up to six or seven teenage boys, strangers to you, and uh, letting them do what teenage boys do. That's an awful lot of responsibility. And they will eat you out of house and home. Uh, and they don't know what to do yet. So you have to... All teenage boys are strangers to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's an excellent point. So probably uh, most master carpenters had one or two apprentices. Okay, you came here, you said... You came to get a summer job. You were in college. Yeah. And it's just lasted and lasted and summer never ended. That's right. What attracted you to it? Well, I grew up in Williamsburg, and I always wanted to work for the foundation, even just for a little bit, because it looked like it was a lot of fun, and I was interested in history. And um, um, when I applied, they had six positions open, and they called me up and said, you know, we have a we have an opening to you can help in the blacksmith shop and the shoe shop and the cooper shop and the carpenters. And there was something about the carpentry program that sounded interesting to me. And um, so I showed up at the carpenter's yard in my brand-new costume and met the master carpenter, Roy Underhill. And I uh, had so much fun working with Roy and you know, learning the craft of carpentry, but also learning the craft of, of interpreting to the public, speaking to the public, interacting with people. And it, uh, you know, the summer was over before I knew it. Interacting with people. People see you working as a carpenter. What are the questions they ask? Well, carpentry is a, is a trade that is close to everybody because everyone lives in a building. Uh, everyone has family members who are in the building trades, and so there's an immediate connection with them. Um, but there's also a mythology that's grown up about uh, old buildings and buildings from the colonial era, uh, houses built without nails, Everything's pegged together, um, you know, and, and and so a lot of my job is talking about what we're doing and 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 how it fits into American history and what people understand about building, which is right and and and, and what's not so correct. Not sure if I'm answering your question there, but um, there's lots of questions about what we're doing because it's immediate to so many people. It's you know, other trades might be more arcane. Um, but this is a pretty basic uh, food, clothing, and shelter. We all understand, um, and it's all very important to us. And the other thing that's interesting to me about 18th century building is people are still building houses that look like the houses that you see in Williamsburg. This is a style that uh, a lot of Americans really still like. And they, they, uh, 
they ask me for plans all the time. They want to go home and put together a, a copy of a house in Williamsburg and all those outbuildings. It, it has a lot of appeal. You, you don't see as many people wanting to, you know, wanting their dream house to be a 17th century thatched cottage. But they really <laughs> like the look of our Williamsburg houses. And there was a, uh, I wish I could remember who it was. Years ago, somebody criticized Colonial Williamsburg and said that, you know, Colonial Williamsburg and its presentations were looking more and more like the suburbs every day. And the counterpoint was, no, of course, that the suburbs were looking more and more like <laughs> Colonial Williamsburg every day. you got, got to get straight which came first. Yeah. On the other hand, if I wanted to build a thatched roof cottage, I suppose I could. You certainly could. And, sure. a, and a carpenter could, really. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, this is an English tradition that came over on that first boat at Jamestown. And uh, you won't really go back to England and find houses that look like the structures that are here. So it's also a very American system of building that that, that developed over the years of settlement. Uh, and, and thatching is a nice example. Thatching's not something that uh, that lasted here at all. Um, you know, with, when people developed tobacco, developed plantations, uh, organized slave labor, it, it took the, the kind of the English tradition in a whole different area, and um, you can go a hundred miles in any direction and, and find differences in buildings and differences in architecture. But there's an architecture here in what we call the, the tidewater of the Chesapeake that is that is unique. And when people say, "Gosh, you know, you seem to know a lot about about building," I say, "Well, I uh, know a whole lot about 18th century tidewater Virginia English." carpentry and architecture, but that's not really a whole lot to understand. Uh, we know a lot about our particular trade uh, in our particular area. Um, but again, it's that architecture that, that so many people seem to like today. That's Colonial Williamsburg, past and present this time. Check history.org often. We'll post more for you to download and hear.